It's not a real dinosaur. Welcome, Jurassic fans, to your 150 episode of your other nerd podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and now coming down your chimney like a real creeper, Larry. Hey, mate. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> or should I say, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I had that one prepared oh for, for Matthew, but you see, the sucker's not here today. So... <laughs> But we forgive you, Matthew. Yes. yes. Or not. We love you, anyways. your beautiful cabbage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Matthew having a good time with his family. So, oh, whatever. You know, good for him. He's sure. got a family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And today, Matthew is here in our city, right? Campo Grande. And oh. it's raining like cats and dogs. So, yeah, <laughs> the internet is not helping much today either. Have you seen him yet? <laughs> no, not yet. He, he's, like you said, seeing family and going out with them. So I, I didn't have the chance yet, but oh, I'll see. catch him. <laughs> I'll oh, catch him. You gotta catch him all. collect like a real psycho so <laughs> you guys you may have noticed that uh, the intro was different today so yeah uh this was a, a special remix that i got and um, i also added some uh, nice voicing from uh, uh this was jurassic world you know you heard uh, you heard one of the kids saying that's not a real dinosaur this was the intro that we used to use for how accurate is that dino because it was so fitting, you know, that's not a real dinosaur. All of the creatures that we see in JP and JW are not real dinos. Let us all remember that. But let's talk about real dinos. We are reading another chapter of our story today. And then one in Discovery. We are reading chapter 18. And my voice is pretty rough today. And I'll be the narration. I'll be dead by the end of this. <laughs> No, you won't. It'll be okay. Yeah, Trust yeah. me. <laughs> Whatever. All right. So, <laughs> shall we get started? Bloody veg yeah. All right. Chapter 18, The Price of Progress. Another one? This is already becoming repetitive. Kin's comment sounded cold and uncontrolled. Before us was just what had been announced to Barudi, an adult specimen of the creature whose young we had seen. There was, though, more to it than expected. In the aquatic reptile's mouth was a long line hook, going through the delicate mucous membrane, the structure that links the jaw and the skin. From it stretched the fishing line, which coiled at our feet, as the man who had found it earlier had left it. At the other end of the line, after several hooks that were piling up, a few others were also attached to something, a human being. The man lay with the frozen expression with which death had left him. 
neighbors from the surrounding villages gather around us, and further away, a woman hugged her children and carried them into the circular tent. Her arms were trembling around the children. Even from a distance, you could see that she was crying. The victim's wife and children, certainly. Have you seen this creature before? I asked the elders around us. Some were leaning on their canes, staring sadly at the man's lifeless body. The animal was not important to him, not after destroying a part of their family. I understood the reason for their silence, and also felt silent. Do you think you can get the hook out of the pleasure saw for the relatives to take the man away, Dr. King? Maybe, young man. I won't be able to concentrate with so many stairs anyway. For heaven's sake! Lucy called in a low tone. Let these people cry for the men. You know they understand what you say. Ken didn't answer, but just bent down and undid the band in the hook, exerting force to overcome the friction with the bone. The hook slowly left the reptile's jaw, making a horrible rubbing sound that scratched the skull. The noise made my heart ache, knowing that it had the same effect on the family and friends of the man who, a little came to know, was called Thabo Amaeke, as the young villager who had worked with him told me. Aha! exclaimed Keen, finally removing the hook. I would very much like to pretend that this man was not part of our team. With the corpse freed, the population carried Thabo's body away, still with a long line that would be removed later. With no interest in the killer monster that also had died there, the villagers withdrew, one by one, leaving behind only the carcass and our tiny team of three. Feeling relieved after the extreme pressure that the drama had caused, I sighed, thinking about one more family that was suffering. What was wrong with this? It seemed that everywhere we went, death and tragedy followed us, whether by car or boat. Parker Norwayan would never see his son and grandson again. Ahohako had lost her husband. Thabo Amaeka's family was missing a piece. And as for us, we were abandoned without the loving presence of Anthony Lane. The species was all I could hear. Forcing myself to concentrate, I asked, What did you say, doctor? Sorry, I was off with the ferries. Can you identify the species? Yeah, yeah, the Leptocletus capensis. I answered without much interest. When I turned my eyes to the left again, where the elders were before, I met Lucy's eyes. Her knowledge of all species was something frightening, and the glow of her genius reached her large brown eyes. Looking deep into mine, she arched her eyebrows as a sign of pity, as if she understood my thoughts with the simple act of seeing my blue eyes. Small species, isn't it? I don't think it measures more than three meters. Jacob King continued, touching the animal's hydrodynamic skin. Breaking the psychological connection that Lucy's eyes imposed, I turned to the leptocletus. He was right, it wasn't more species. When they hear the term, please your soul, many think of the gigantic 14-meter-long Lasmosaurus without ever daring to research the existence of all the genera. The animal at our feet did not even reach the maximum three meters, but it still had all the characteristics of the group. A body like that of a turtle, four petal-like fins, a short tail, needle-like teeth that protruded outward, and a relatively long neck compared to the body, but still short compared to other types of the same order. Must have drowned with the weight of the man pulling it to the death, he continued to elaborate. 
ironic, isn't it? One killed the other with sheer body weight. The waves then did us the favor of bringing the bodies to shore. Now we just have to find out why this little animal came to a lagoon. And I know where to find out. You do? Lucy said, surprised. Do you think I'm just good for picking up fights, Lucy? He asked her calmly, stretching his words. And also to condemn us when we show bad manners at the table. She replied, imitating Keen's tone, following this with a controlled laugh. I could have sworn I saw a smile form at the corner of Keen's lips and die immediately. We left the animal on the banks where it had been found. It would not be consumed by the locals as the hatchlings had been. Not that particular animal, at least. The tragedy that surrounded it was like a curse that loomed over the dead Leptocletus. It hovered like the flies, they would soon do the same, until only the bones became an exposed reminder of those the villagers had buried. Now we knew that the adults stuck to the inner pond, and all we had to do was find them. We need to find out what caused this imbalance, Ken said, his voice bitter at the idea that the animals were suffering and dying. He added, and then fix it. Looking in the rearview mirror of the rental car, he looked, this time not at Lucy, but at himself, as if admiring his own hatred. Don't worry, Lucy said in an emotional tone. We'll include you in the next search. I um, talked to the younger fisherman, I took courage to say. They have been fishing the lagoon all their lives and professionally for weeks now. They claimed that they had never seen anything like it in the lagoon before. What time of day did they come fishing? Lucy wanted to know. Always during the day, it seems that Mr. Maiki was the only one who cared to stay at night as well. Until one night, the bastard found one of the creatures on the long line, Kin commented, his face now resting on the steering wheel as if all his energy had been drained. In a way, was all I could say without correcting his manners. Well, Lucy continued. We're going back at night too, but with lights instead of lines. Our driver slowly lifted his face from the wheel, apparently excited by Lucy's idea, and abruptly turned the key, bringing the car suddenly to life, and so it disappeared into the tree line. It was already later in the day. The sun was setting in the west, powering orange hills that covered the savannah of Luleka. We remained outside the reserve, but still hidden by the tree line that surrounded it. The only visible sign that we were there was the thin column of smoke rising from our campfire. The main reason we had not stayed overnight inside the nature reserve. Over it, we hung the biotong that Baruti Elia had gifted us and renewed the formidable smell of the spices and the tender fat of the meat. Returning the flint to the red flannel pocket, I sat around the fire with the others. What is the plan for the research? Kin leaned over to ask the question, his thin-rimmed, almost invisible glasses descending to the tip of his narrow nose. Through the lenses, his dark eyes waiting for Lucy's answer. It was noticeable now that his search for the leadership of Elena was no longer laden with irony, but rather sincere. With confidence, she answered. His creatures seem to be strictly nocturnal predators, as the fisherman's account shows. And there are no islets in the inner lagoon where reptiles could hide from the view 
of an entire village that fishes, bathes, and washes its clothes in the same water. The only reasonable explanation is that they spend the day in the ocean or on the uninhabited coast, away from human eyes, and enter the Sazindi River every night to feed. The beach close to the condominium was then the perfect place for these animals to spawn and for the population to grow. Of course, this does not explain how they had not been spotted before, as the chances of someone deciding to swim at night or go fishing because they simply cannot sleep are considerable. Our species is horrendous, Kin interrupted. Killing and devouring creatures just for fun? That's too much for me. Perhaps one would expect such a sentence from a vegetarian. But the reality is that the speaker had a large wooden skewer in his hand, which was passing through meat that was now dripping fat onto the dry earth. Anyway, Lucy continued feeling a little nauseous at hearing such hypocrisy. I believe that the Leptoquitos didn't go this route until recently, but have only now started to do so, not giving the population enough time to see them. And how do you plan to attract them to us? I asked. As I said, with lights. The light attracts plankton, which in turn attracts small fish, which attract bigger fish. These plesiosaurus are fish eaters. All we have to do is light a torch and prop it up so that it illuminates the water. We just have to get a motorboat to follow the creatures and see where they go at daybreak. A motorboat? Keen asked with a sudden movement over his head, suddenly looking into Lucy's eyes. Yes, doctor. Wait a few hours. I'll be back soon. Saying this, he quickly got up and ran towards the car. The tires raised a cloud of choking dirt that filled our camp. At higher speed, he made a curve the entrance to the forest, counted around the large trees, and disappeared behind the trunks and dense foliage. Through the gaps in the leaves came only the light from his headlights, which soon disappeared. Still coughing with the dust that King's epiphany had caused, I asked the only thing that made any sense. Is he thinking of going back to the condo and returning with Baruti's speedboat? It's still possible. Lucy struggled to speak. At the speed he left and going upriver in the speedboat, he can still arrive in time. And why didn't you tell him the plane earlier? He could have left hours ago. Lucy stared into my eyes again. Understanding at last, I said... Oh, you intended him not to be here? Smiling, Lucy confirmed the cunning of her plan. Evan, you have spent more time with my father in the last few months than I have myself. You know what he thought and understand his beliefs. I guess I can say that, yeah. There is no tomorrow. That's what he said. What does it mean? The horrid image of Anthony Lane crying as he shouted these words filled my mind, not allowing any other thought to develop. My spine shivered with the cold that gripped my body. With a long sigh, I tried to control myself and explain. Dr. Lane used to ramble a bit during expeditions. The first time I was invited to go, I could already notice his behavior in him. He would focus his eyes on the horizon, usually on the sun rising or setting, and allow the most poetic phrases to escape his lips. What about Professor King? I can't imagine him appreciating poetry. 
Oh, and he didn't. And since he didn't carry a camera those days, there was little he could do for the expedition, other than, of course, pay for the equipment we acquired when we arrived in the region. He didn't carry a camera in those days? No, no, Dr. Lane did not allow modern equipment. Even with the camera he was offered was a very old model. He wanted to hold on to the very beads of the past, bringing back tangible examples and samples of the creatures we encountered. Why'd you ask? Lucy's gaze had become dark and mysterious at my question, but she dismissed it. No reason, nothing important. And what changed to make my father give in? You did. Me? Yeah. Dr. Lane told me for a long time about the idea he had of uh, taking you on the ultimate expedition. One with a very good chance of being fruitful, my boy, I said, imitating my tutor's animated tone. You have changed, Lucy. Rather, you were the change. Lane felt alive again when he saw an expedition whose basis was a personal account not a blurry newspaper clipping with a badly taken photo of a monster or a drunken phone call in the middle of the night. He was finally happy, as I had never seen him and was even willing to rejuvenate his way of thinking. I felt my throat dry up as I remembered the end of this dream. With my voice still a little dull, I added, I know how traumatic the trip was, but thank you for going. Lucy's eyes seemed to have less power than before. Her appearance was more organic, more human. Getting moist, her eyes closed and a tear rolled down from each one. She then threw herself toward me and hugged me, squeezing my neck. I had rarely been hugged in my life, but it wasn't a bad thing. I wonder why people didn't do it more often. If they did, maybe I wouldn't always have to wear a flannel shirt for warmth. Come with me, I invited. I want to show you something. Without saying anything else, I got up and walked towards the exit of the clearing, and I knew that she was right behind me because her feet rustled in the leaves that were scattered on the ground. In the darkness, our campfire grew more and more distant, a tiny orange dot in the pitch of the night. Turning left at the exit of the clearing, we could see the village and the large pond in front of it. We slowly walked to the water's edge, where I could best explain my experiment. The night was breathtakingly beautiful, the sky dotted with a multitude of tiny jewels of intense brilliance, with no artificial lights to rival their bright. Look at the horizon, I asked. The horizon light in that night sky comprises the simple absence of stars, starting from a certain part of the sky, since nothing else was visible, and only the gentle roar of the waves showed us where the land ended and prevented us from entering the lagoon. Tomorrow lies just beyond it, I continued. That's what Lane meant. Tomorrow doesn't exist, because only the present and the past can be considered reality. Tomorrow is just a baseless hope. There is nothing to guarantee that we will be there to see it. And even if we are, it will have already become today. Lucy remained silent, processing the explanation I remembered hearing from Lane. Around us, the noise of amphibians and crickets was beginning to fill the atmosphere. Before us, the pond slowly lapped its icy waters where prehistoric creatures hunted. My father didn't know how to enjoy the present moment for several years, but he redeemed himself in the end. 
He suddenly didn't know what was waiting behind the horizon. Nothing could prepare him to experience the greatest joy and the greatest pain of his life all on the same trip. Describing Anthony Lane's personality and accomplishments felt like stealing, as if I were introducing a stranger to her. As the hours passed on that dark shore, I felt their weight increase more and eventually paused, not sure if I should continue. What I also didn't know, though, was that Lucy doesn't need to see someone's eyes to know their thoughts. Noticing the cadence in my voice, which was now becoming weaker, she took the initiative in calming me down. You don't have to be afraid of telling me everything. Her voice sounded sincere, but with the usual touch of sadness that reoccurred each time the subject came up. Her turn was different from the usual, always cheerful turn, like Lane's. Even with her assurance, I kept quiet, and she felt she needed to express herself. You know what I don't like about this place? The fact that a man was killed in this lake? That too. But what I mean is the atmosphere of this place. Baruchi speaks perfect English, and so do the men in the village you contacted. Kevin, these people have lost much of their culture to whoever colonized this place and forced them to learn it. You know that the reality is even worse, I said with bitterness in my voice. Our home countries are also colonized. Even if it weren't for that, we wouldn't even speak the languages we do. Have you ever stopped to think whether King might be right? I was momentarily paralyzed by the question. Right? What might King be right about? In being rude and belighting those who had less money than he did? In what way? I asked at last. We are the cause of the destruction of our own species and those around us. There was not much I could say in return. The numbers supported her statement and had done for several thousand years. But the way to deal with this is to educate the generations to come, and perhaps even the existing ones. In any case, it was not with verbal violence that we would be able to improve the world. Maybe in concepts, but not in practice, I answered, summarizing my thoughts. No, of course. I wouldn't use the doctor's methods either, but he always repeats that there are monstrous human beings who abuse others and impose their will, and perhaps this place is proof of this. I am proof of that. Yes, your father. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it's, it's okay. It's not your fault that the world is full of monsters. Monsters who abandon even before birth. These animals do the same, but without cruelty. Nature made them resistant, but we are not that strong. Lucy spent a long time in silence, probably elaborating what she was going to say. But she didn't need to say anything. She was there, and that mattered. Do you remember what I found in the Ebel hut before we left Amde? Leftover food? Besides that, Kevin, there was a handful of medicines in the cabinets. Among them... At that moment, a great flash of light illuminated the bay where we were sitting. Instantly, the whole area around us became as clear as day, and our eyes burned with the excessive brightness. The great illumination of the unidentified object was followed by a loud engine noise, indicating that the nature of the infamous object was not extraterrestrial at all. We covered our eyes with our hands, as one does when looking at the sun, waiting until the source of the light turned away and, when it finally did, 
we saw the silhouette of Jacob Keen against the powerful spotlight. Where the hell? Lucy began, but soon interrupted herself. I'm not sure I wish to know. 